I think people are having fun. Um, we're live, so. Oh, well, then everybody that's there to have fun. That's your um, chore. <laughs> you have to enjoy this. You no. have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, I'm like doing a couple of just a, you know, a quick warm up and something that um, something that I think is useful. Hundred percent. Yeah, something I think is doing some warm ups. Um, what I like to do is I like to practice making squares. I know, like you know, we can get out a ruler and we can make a square very easily. That one's that one's garbage. Let's get, let's try it again. So I practice with a right angle. Uh, and Amber is here with us. Amber, so great to see you. Hi guys. How are you? So good. It's great to see you. How you been? I'm all right. Awesome. Awesome. My life has been a little crazy, but I'm back. Good. That's that's excellent. the way it's supposed to be, you know. <laughs> Generally, yeah. every day, it's cool. It's fun. Who was it, John Lennon, that said, "Life is what happens when you're making other plans." <laughs> very good advice. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. <laughs> well, if um. If you're following along, I'm making squares right now, just sort of practicing it. Uh, I'm dividing it into two, nine little squares. Just practicing that. I mean, you know, you could eyeball this also. And again, it could be more accurate as well. But I think this is uh, something that could be really nice. Something that could be really nice about yeah. Yeah, we're on YouTube. Awesome. Yes, um, I did get the notification that we're live. Cool. It's always good to know that all the things are up and running. It's 9 a.m. Uh, on the East Coast, everybody. This is Drawing for Tattoo. Yes, it is. We're already drawing already. So this is like ahead of the game. Something like this, right? This is the just sketching out some quick geometry. What's nice about you know being able to divide, you know, say a square into nine pieces, you can also do it with a rectangle as well. The same sort of thing. <laughs> it needs to be pretty rectangular. <laughs> you want you want both the sides to be you know like parallel with each other. Yeah. Right. That's a that's an important that's an important aspect. But you know, find the center. You can go from corner to corner. You can find the center, whatever it is you're drawing. And then once you find the center, vertical line, horizontal one, go across from that center point down to those corners again. I used to do this a lot in high school when creating grids for illustrations. And that's that's exactly um, exactly what I'm thinking about. You know what I mean? Just how would you go up here, here, here? Good morning, everyone. Morning, oh. spirit. Morning, spirit. 
By the way, Spirit, thank you so much for the message. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to get back to you, but it really made me smile. Uh-huh. Yeah, we miss you. I was like, where has Amber been? Oh, my life just kind of got in the way for a little while, but you know, set some new boundaries. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I won't be up so late on Sunday nights anymore. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> Well, it's good to see you again. It's good to see you guys too. Absolutely. Um, it is. Uh, it's great to have the gang all together this morning and just sort of sketching out, just getting warmed up and getting our getting our hands all warmed up, getting our our minds all woken up on Monday morning. We're already thinking about drawing, talking about drawing and stuff. So I'm, I'm so excited. This was, uh, uh, this was just dividing a square, right? Dividing a, a rectangle into, into nine easy pieces. Uh, and uh, and this is <laughs> drawing for tattooers, everybody. If you're here, uh, make sure you hit like and subscribe. Um, and uh, we really are. Uh, we really are doing this live. And so um, thank you for coming. I'm your host, James Wisdom. Uh, with me today, we have Kyle Olson, Amber Morgan, and Spirit. So everybody say hey. Hello. Yo, what's happening? How y'all doing? Please are, join everybody. us. Yeah, everybody should. Yeah, the more the merrier. Everybody should join. I think it's um, it's always fun when we have we see new faces, um, but certainly you know make sure that you check out what's going on on reinventingthetattoo.com, right? Um, so again, it's uh, Monday morning, it's September 11th. It's uh, just after just after 9 a.m. on the East Coast, and um, and you're joining us on. Uh, uh, reinventing the tattoos, uh, drawing for tattooers. Um, please let us know this is working for you in the comments. Be sure to tag a friend who's interested. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. Again, welcome to Reinventing the Tattoo, where tattooers, apprentices, collectors, and the curious are all encouraged to join in these live stream and real world events to share, inspire, and ultimately create better art and tattoos together. We beam out nearly every single day. And with your help, we've evolved into a quality network of amazing live and on-demand art shows. We've all been receiving rave reviews. And so you can find Reinventing the Tattoo in all these fine places, the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, because there is an app. And so you can always find out more um, about Reinventing the Tattoo. Uh, and also you can get on the app. It gets you right to the Reinventing community where you can share your artwork, get feedback, and also uh, be able to social media with uh, other like-minded tattooers kind of going on this tattooing journey with you. Um, again, you can also find out more. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, a Roku page. We're on Facebook. Um, we're also a podcast. Uh, you can find the podcast on all your major podcast directories, Apple or Spotify. Uh, but just remember, you can always find the latest and greatest here on reinventingthetattoo.com, where we have all sorts of professional development courses, uh, 
can check those out. Um, there's all kinds of free content, which is really nice, but you can also um, go through and select a la carte some of the things that you're interested in. Um, lots of different development courses from uh, 20, over 20 of the world-class uh, tattooers, right? Always updating. And so, um, yeah, we'd like to go through now and um, talk about some of our upcoming shows, um, some of our weekly stable shows. Ah. So beginning on Sundays at 11 a.m., uh, or sorry, at, at 1 p.m. rather, Sundays, we have the Reinventing uh, Skill Building Drawing Group hosted by Jason Leeser. We'll follow the Mondays at 9 a.m. with Drawing for Tattooers with James Wisdom. That's me. That's this show. Thank you for coming. Uh, at 11 a.m. on Mondays, we have the Tattoo Now show. That's followed at 5 p.m. Eastern on Mondays with Let's Talk About Feelings hosted by Robbie Ripple and Dustin Pitstick. At 9 p.m. Eastern on Mondays, we have the Subscribers Exclusive Drawing Group. Um, really great group. Can't speak highly enough about it. So if you're interested, you can find out more at reinventthetattoo.com. And then on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, we have the Tattoo Collecting 101 podcast hosted by Fawn Baker. Um, we'd now like to thank our sponsors for making it all possible. Um, World Tattoo Events. WorldTattooEvents.com is the largest, most comprehensive resource for tattoo events worldwide. Lots of updating as conventions are rescheduling like crazy. So you can always learn more about upcoming tattoo events in your area by visiting WorldTattooEvents.com. Tattoo Now. Tattoo Now is technology for tattooers, the leading edge in professional development, management, and digital tools for tattooers of all levels. Um, they are uh, competitive with any CRM mailing list software out there. So um, you know, check out Tattoo Now and uh, ask for Gabe. Guy Atchison, we'd like to thank you for being uh, the founder and inspiration behind reinventing the tattoo. You can learn more about Guy Atchison by visiting guyatchison.com where you can find uh, paintings, prints, tattoo machines, as well as learn more about Guy's uh, story of, uh, of being a painter and making his way through the tattoo world. Uh, my site, yeah, this is me, Tattooing Wisdom. You can um, come here, you can schedule a tattoo appointment, you can buy some paintings and stuff. Um, I'm always working on it. So, uh, you know, be sure to visit uh, tattooingwisdom.com. Now to plug just a couple of things that are coming up, uh, September, this September 24th through the 22nd through the 24th, um, the High Lifestyle Show in Boxborough, Massachusetts. If you're gonna be in the Boxborough, Massachusetts area, be sure to stop by. Um, there's gonna be uh, lots of marijuana. And then also we're gonna be doing- <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And also we're gonna also, be doing- We'll also be doing tattoos, so you should, you should check it out. <laughs> I actually know someone who travels to Massachusetts often who would be very interested in this. So I'm going to tell her about it. Send, a, send them our way. We'd love to, we'd love to see if you can, if you can make it out to the high lifestyle show, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. So um, anyway, high lifestyle show. And then of course, uh, want to also like remind you all that the paradise tattoo gathering is, it's coming right up. It's going to be uh, this October 
and um, it's back and it's uh, better than ever. So there's, uh, there's all sorts of reasons to go, right? If you want to get tattooed or if you just want to get inspired, um, it's a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great time. I've never gone. So this is my first time. So I'm, you know, I am like sort of a, uh, I'm basing my opinion on <laughs> what I heard from other people, but I hear it's fantastic. So uh, I've seen videos. It looks like a great time. I, I only imagine that I, I'm, I'm sure that it is. So I'm, I'm so excited. Um, but I think it's time to start the show everybody. So thank you for coming. Welcome. I'm so glad that you could all make it again, Amber. So great to have you back. It's so great to be back. I missed you guys. Mm -hmm. I missed you too. I've been, I've been operating on like three, four hours of sleep a night on Sunday nights. uh, My life has been rearranged and it's caused me to have to be up late Sunday nights. But now the kid, the grandkids are back in school. I'm up at 7 a.m. But I'm having a hard time getting back into the schedule of going to bed early. So I'm working on that. I did get up this morning, but I'm operating on like three, four hours of sleep. Well, I'm, I really appreciate uh, you, you making the time to come because it's, it's great having you. Um, this has been, a, been a, a group that's been coming to this for, for quite a while now. And um, I really appreciate seeing everybody. And, you know, just I feel like uh, we've all we've started a, a little uh, you know, community here, of course. And there's people that watch us. So yeah. there's all the people that watch us that I think are, are also very glad uh, to see you as well. Oh, and Creature says, good morning. I was about to say, and I've made friends with some of them, and I very much enjoy their personality and my connection with them. Yeah, that is cool. You know what, Amber? Go ahead. I just said good morning to Creature. Go ahead. I was just saying, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, you, some sometimes people will, like, reach out to you and it's like, hey, I watch your YouTube. You're really great. You know, that is, I like that. I like that. You know what I mean? I think that's cool. <laughs> It is cool. 100%. And I think it's, uh, you know, uh, as, as tattooers, there's, there's this, uh, there's this, this aspect to it, right? When you work with people, I'll be honest, sometimes I really focus on their tattoo and I'm more familiar with their tattoo than their face. Oh, yeah. Sometimes yeah. I, I won't like, <laughs> like, you know, they'll come in and be like, Hey, how's it going? I'm like, do I know you? And then they're like, what, you know, they show you the tattoo. Like, oh, <laughs> why did you say this? Why did you say this weeks ago? Um, so <laughs> there's, a, there's a part of it, right? Where, like you said, there's uh, people know you. Mm-hmm. Come to see you. And this, you know, it's, so there is a, there is a bit of it. It's important, you know, that we take care of the, the people that we, um, you know, that we work with, you know, they give us this, they give us this responsibility. And um, so, yeah, no, we care about them and, you know, to, to do our best to, um, to, be a, to be a decent, right? To be ethical, decent person. I think those, yeah. are, those are the things. And artists have to stick together. We need each other's support. It helps with inspiration. It helps with frustration. It helps when you, you just can't see what's in front of you and you get a clean perspective. Mm-hmm. It's important. Mm-hmm. It's a helpline. 
Yes, especially since a lot of artists are prone to isolating themselves and, you know, getting too deep into their thoughts and their art. And we need human connection. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy how important that stuff can be. Um, just that human interaction. Um, yeah. It just did. Yeah. It relieves stress. It just, yeah, it does so much, so many helpful things. It helps out immensely. So, and to be able to share like common interests, um, so you're able to talk about the things that you're interested in just as much as the next person makes it that much easier to talk about the things you like and mm -hmm. add on top of that. So it's just, it's huge. Tis huge. Yeah, my yeah. daughter likes to tell me when I'm getting too much tunnel vision and I'm focusing too much on an art project. Mm -hmm. She's like, the lead paint is getting to you. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to take care of yourself yeah. yeah you know what i mean i think that's that's a that's a big part of it too um so um i don't have i don't have any solutions or answers for just these empty platitudes that's all that's all i am but but seriously it's it is uh i think that's what we're kind of getting at we're pointing at like this uh having having a, a group of people that you respect and um you know, they're going to push you, but they're also going to, uh, you know, treat you with, with some care. Yeah. That's important. Mm -hmm. and, uh, more important than, than you realize. So, and, and, uh, you know, if I send y'all a tattoo and I ask for, please don't tell me it, it, it looks good. <laughs> what if it looks good though, spirit? <laughs> lie. Okay. Lies, lie. <laughs> <laughs> no you just it, this looks good this is how it could look even better okay okay all right okay amber you that's that's good that's good yeah i was uh, talking to a, a client um earlier this week and it, it kind of dawned on me um it's like i'm 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 sir mix a lot you know i like big blood butts like hey this is cool but you know <laughs> that's what i hear that I want the big butts. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. I like big butts. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's good. I like that one. There's <laughs> uh, someone with a big butt. I resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You just got cool. You just got a lot cooler, Amber. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, moving right along. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so today I'm gonna share just a, you know a little bit more James Gurney. This will sort of wrap up our section on James Gurney. We've done three weeks um, talking about uh, the work and theories of James Gurney. Um, so again, you can always go back and you can revisit some of this stuff. We're still working on the composition chapter from his book, Imaginative Realism. And so um, I was gonna share that with you all and, and read through it. Uh, shouldn't take too awful long. And, uh, you know, there's anything at all. Anybody has any questions about and or, you know, um, 
if you want to sort of focus on any particular thing, you know, please uh, speak up. Let me know because, uh, again, I think what I'm hoping to do is, of course, we want to like we want to talk about these things. We want to like have a you know conversation about them as well. And so these are, you know, just a few um, ideas from from James Gurney. And again, we're uh, we've been talking about uh, his his two books. Um, light and then also this uh, imaginative realism. So uh, where we left off, and I believe that it could probably be useful to, to refer to even one more time, right, is this windmill principle. And so if this sounds familiar, um, it's because, you know, we did talk about it two weeks ago, but also Guy Edgerson talks about it um, in Reinventing the Tattoo. He brings up this particular uh, example. And so, um, we can see, I wanted to zoom in here so you could see this windmill. This is a painting from Rembrandt. And- um, No wonder I love the brush strokes. And beautiful, mm -hmm. right? It's incredible painting. As soon as you zoomed in, I was like, God, I love those brush strokes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but what makes it so enigmatic? What is this, what is the beauty that we're seeing here? Well, uh, right here, it's in the center of the page, but just, just to the right. Um, James Gurney has gone through and has listed out all of the, the tonal values that make this composition so interesting. So we can see this, this uppermost blade of the windmill, uh, light on dark. So we can see this light, this light blade right against the dark. And then, you know, as we start to go sort of clockwise around it, light on light, dark on light, followed by dark on dark. So with this rhythm, right, of, of tonal mm -hmm. and this is a part of what makes this so interesting um again because it like you know as we talked about you know as just as a quick review james gary talked about this idea of shape welding where shapes kind of come together as one the part of one single object or maybe multiple objects sort of forming one single group their their proximity makes them sort of you know relate to each other at least in our imaginations so using these tonal value uh, compositional devices, it helps us to, to further that um, relationship, at least in our, you know, in our image making stuff. So um, anyway, just to just to give us a quick, you know, sort of review of this windmill principle, it's a it's a really uh, useful compositional device, and so and it can also bring a lot of sort of uh, variety to what it is that you're working on. And you, can, and you can start to think about making sure that you have contrast where you need it. And then also lowering contrast in other places. It doesn't always have to be high contrast everywhere. You know, having a bit of, have, mixing it up allows you to uh, express emotion. It allows you to express uh, relationship. It allows you to express so many things. And this is, this is a good way to do it. So this uh, windmill principle is, uh, is very valuable. And uh, again, it's um, something that can be really, really valuable for you know, your artwork, but also for your tattoos. So, um, all right. The second half of the, the chapter begins now, right? So uh, eye tracking. This is a really interesting concept because maybe you've, maybe you've heard about it, maybe you're interested in it, but um, eye tracking, Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, 
Sky Maxwell, I'm just looking at the chat real quick. Sky Maxwell uh, asks what a daily exercise we can do. Well, we did a we did a quick one earlier where we were sketching out squares and sort of dividing them into the nine squares, right? This is a compositional trick, right? This is something that you can do to sort of practice developing your compositions. And that's what we're talking about today with James Gurney's uh, um, chapter here. So, all right, back to it, eye tracking, right? So eye tracking scan path studies show uh, how individual viewers actually uh, explore an image. This information can be valuable for us artists uh, because it allows us to test our assumptions about how the design of the picture influences the way people perceive it. Okay, so we have this beautiful image here, right? Uh, but there's, uh, there's some interesting study going on over here just to the right. So James Gurney talks about um, most books on composition seem fairly sure about how people's eye move over pictures. Henry R. Poole's influential book, Pictorial Composition, presents the notion that the eye moves in a flowing circular way through a design. One's vision involuntarily makes a circuit of the items presented. Poor claims, starting with the most interesting and widening its review towards the uh, circumference as rings follow ring when a stone is thrown into water. Right, so like ripples on a pool. This is this is the the idea of how the eye moved around the composition. Uh, so another example in his book Composing Pictures, Donald W. Graham argues that the artist must find graphic control so strong that they will force most of their audience to see elements of the picture in the order that they planned it. Right. So James Gurney questions these notions. Right. He he goes on to say, does the eye really move in flowing concentric circles? Or is it possible to design a picture that is so forceful that it controls the eye? Um, so on to this whole eye tracking, uh, right? Scientists have developed technology to record how a viewer's gaze actually travels over a picture. Sensitive instruments track the pathways of the center of vision or the favela. Uh, the eye movements are input into a computer, which outputs a map uh, called a scan path, superimposed above the image. Um, we can see two scan paths produced by the eye tracking uh, company, iTools, uh, and each scan path represents uh, the behaviors of two different individuals. So we can see it here, right? These are those, these are those examples. So the image to the left, right? And then what, what people are looking at, right? Um, so the scan path reveals that the eye darts uh, unpredictably in straight jagged leaps known as saccades. Saccades occur between three to five times per second, alternating with brief periods of rest called fixations. The white glow around each circle represents the subject's peripheral vision. Heavier blue and orange lines uh, are not important for the study of artwork. Um, the number of black boxes of the times uh, Number of black boxes are the time markers indicating the position of each eye passing uh, each second. Uh, the session begins with a green dot and ends with a red dot. So you can see this green dot here, and then the red dot over there. So I think what are they saying? It's like it, you know, it's like 15 seconds or something like that. Just look at it. How do you scan it? Um, okay. The first uh, test subject's eye enters the composition uh, at the top center and then zigzags down to the figures at the left. Um, and then this happens within the first second. The next three seconds, it swoops to the right. 
leaps upwards to glance at the upper right corner and then moves across the center of the picture in large strokes, pausing briefly to look uh, at the near and far buildings, right? That's this one here we were just talking about. Um, for the remaining 10 seconds, the subject gaze, uh, subject's gaze slides back and forth in smaller saccades, examining the people in the scene. According to Greg Edwards, president and CEO of iTools, the company that did this study for James Gurney, uh, during the first three and a half seconds, the particular person was getting the lay of the land. How long people take uh, to get this initial overview will depend on each picture they're trying to understand, the basic structure or the context of the picture. After that, they usually settle into finer eye movements. If they make a big movement, he says, they're typically searching for context. If they make smaller movements, they're looking for detail. So the second person's uh, scan path both resembles and differs from the first one. The eye makes also large orienting moves initially, taking in uh, the far vista and the full array of people below. But this scan path shifts between large and small movements throughout the session and sends, spends more time looking at the distant vistas and surrounding architecture. So, uh, Experiments like this force us to reject um, our few cherished notions about composition, right? And, and then gazing and how the eye gazes, right? So the eye does not necessarily flow in curves or circles, nor does it follow contours. It leaps from one point of interest to another. People don't scan the same picture along the same route, but they behave according to an overall strategy that alternates between establishing context and studying detail. The viewer is not a passive player uh, continuously controlled by composition. Each person confronts image actively, driven by a combination of conscious and unconscious impulses, which are influenced, uh, but not determined by the design of a picture, right? So I think that's so interesting, right? We want to compose things. We want to, you know, we do want to sort of lend this intention to it, but um, we're not going to control the viewer. Right? We're, we're just merely suggesting, look at this or, you know, look at that. Um, they're going to actively sort of confront this as, as James Gurney concludes. I think that's, uh, I think that's actually more of an opportunity, right? Than saying that there's some sort of fixed formula that things have to be this way and that way. Um, but yeah, this is like sort of the study of how this, you know, people's eyes are moving around the picture. Um, all right heat maps. This is a very interesting section talking about um, once we get all this information, you know, about people's eye moving around, um, you can see like how long, you know, they're spending on particular areas. And uh, so um, for this experiment, eye tracking technology recorded the scan path detail of 16 different subjects and then compiled the information into these composite images. Um, they're called uh, eye tracking heat maps. The red and orange colors show where almost all of the subjects halted their gaze. The blue or darker areas show where hardly anyone looked. The image to the left shows the heat map for the painting, Marketplace of Ideas. That's what we just looked at up here, right? So you can see this, this top image is what he's talking about. Um, marketplace of Ideas was the image that we just saw, it had the, the vistas in the background and there's people lower. And so, um, I think it's weird that nobody rested in the middle. Right? <laughs> there wasn't anything in there, right? If we look, we jump back up there. In the mist. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they're just, you know, like- There's a skull face in the midst, right in the middle. Right, we can force ourselves to look at where people weren't looking. And there's like a beautiful painting right there. <laughs> uh -huh. misty stuff. Oh, that is a skull face. Yeah, nobody's looking at it. That's the first place my eye went. Hmm. But I, I love skulls. I didn't see that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think there's a lot of beautiful sort of thing. But but yeah, but how is your eye looking around? You know, we we do look. We do look for faces. Yeah, I started in the middle and then I kind of went up to the castle and then around to the left and then to the right. And well, back up again. That's kind of in a Fibonacci. For sure. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> it's like, um, are, are we looking, are we like looking in a circular motion or are we just, are we darting around? Um, the science, the, you know, the, the study seems to tell us that we might be sort of jumping around from place to place. Uh, and so, yeah, darting, these jagged lines, these saccades, that's what, that's what it seems to tell us. But perhaps the experience of it does feel more like a circle, like you said, more like a yeah. spiral or something. I might have just, just be trained yeah. to look at it like that at this point, that that's how my eye automatically takes in a painting. No, excellent. I think that's a, that's a really nice uh, reflection on what we're talking about. Um, but the next part is basically this same thing. But how long people are, you know, where everybody's looking at specifically, how long they're yeah. looking at, right? So um, uh, here's what's interesting. Uh, we can see below this second heat map right here. Here's the painting. So we'll look at it for a moment and I will read uh, what he says about this painting, right? The heat map for the painting Camouflage, that's this one with this dinosaur here, uh, shows that everyone noticed the dinosaur's face. And they also spotted the man hidden in the small, uh, and the small pink dinosaur. Um, you see it? You see the small pink dinosaur right there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, statistically, uh, these three faces drew almost everyone's atten attention within the first five seconds. Um, but I was surprised that the two patches of lichen on the tree above the man scored nearly 100% of attention. Evidently, viewers noticed these strange shapes uh, in their peripheral vision and checked them to make sure that they weren't important or somehow a threat to the man. The sunken log and the detailed patch of leaves in the lower left drew 70% of the viewers' uh, attention, but... Um, um, but the viewers, perhaps, uh, those were likely places of danger or somewhere to hide. Um, so let's look at the heat map for a second, right? This is, this is the one that we're talking about. You can kind of see it's superimposed lightly. There's that dinosaur's face, right? There's the face of the person. And then those two lichen, but those two patches above the head on the tree, they, mm. they do seem to stand out, I suppose, when we look back at the at the image, those little, those spots right there. So we almost want to sort of assume that there's maybe something there, a face or something. We might see, you know, we see a pattern and we want to, we want to double, double take and, and wonder what it is. Um, but yeah, we are really drawn to faces. I think that's what, that's a big part of what he's talking about here. Um, so go on. 
but just because the element has sharp detail or strong tonal contrast, it doesn't necessarily attract the eye. The dark branches behind the dinosaur's head drew most, almost no attention because they fit into the natural scheme of the forest scene. Apparently, uh, the viewers developed a search strategy based on threatening situation of a hungry dinosaur looking for a bite to eat. The lesson to take away from these studies is that abstract elements play a role in influencing where viewers look in a picture, but the human and narrative elements are far more powerful. Um, as Dr. Edwards put it, abstract design gets trumped by human stories. The job of an artist is composing narrative pictures is to use abstract tools to reinforce uh, the viewer's natural desire to seek out a face and a story. Um, what, what do you all think about that? Like, uh, I think it also says that a lot more people are afraid of dinosaurs than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I could see that, that, that it's perhaps like very, uh, um, it's very ingrained to, to like seek out the threat. You know what I mean? Is it a, is it a dinosaur going to eat you? Is it a tiger going to eat you? Is something going to eat you? <laughs> is a car going to run you over maybe in our more contemporary uh, sort of experience? But, um, but yeah, no, this is a pretty bold claim. Like that this abstract elements, they really are uh, superseded, if you will, by the narrative ones, by these, facial structures, these facial patterns. Um, I, I'm, I don't know, I just wanted, I, I don't know, I just wanted to sort of bring that up. I don't want to make that as like, you know, uh, this absolute claim, but, it, but it's being claimed here. And so what do you all, what does the gang think about that? Is this, um, is this, is this like, does this like correspond to your experience? Do you feel the same way? Um, do you think that making a narrative image is like the most important thing? Well, gosh, like adding narrative to like the composition can help just that much more. It makes it that much more interesting because if it was just like a dinosaur just standing there and then a dude just standing there and then another dinosaur just standing there, like there's like really, it's stagnant. There's really not much to it. And then with the way he has it, like, set up you know like the dude's looking over to the dinosaur and then the other little dinosaur is looking over that way so it like kind of pushes you to look over that way and you got the dinosaur there and of course you go to its face and like there's there's motion and character to it um which which definitely helps out with the overall composition which helps with moving the eye um so yeah no i like that um Amber, it looks like you want to say something. I don't want to move on. I wanted to I'm ask. trying to figure out how to say it. I feel like the more I look at this, the mm -hmm. more I feel like I am concentrating on foliage in the forest and his, the way he plays with light. He has a very deep understanding of light and shadow mm -hmm. and how to convey light in a painting. Mm -hmm. And my eye keeps getting drawn to that. And the, you know, the shadow and the depth on the leaves and the highlights, I think that's part of the reason you start to focus on the forest, because he did really did render the forest beautifully. Absolutely, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I I think that that's it's so interesting, especially you know once we say like nobody's looking at it. That's a, I think that's 
that's us. We're going right to it. <laughs> yeah. Of course, once you say it, you know what I mean? It makes it, uh, it does make it sort of more interesting. Um, I, I think that the only thing that I could, that, that I would say here is, um, is that with, with images, they're always a, about space. I mean, even mm -hmm. if you have an abstracted thing, right, it's, it's still some arrangement. This is kind of in front of that or whatever. You know, so it's like when we're dealing with images, um, we're we're trying to maybe evoke some sort of a narrative. But it is, you know, there's always this. Uh, uh, it's not language. It's not specifically the abstract language of like you know words and letters and stuff. We have names for you know this dinosaur. We I I don't know if it's a a, a Velociraptor or not. You know whatever. I'm pretty it, sure it is. Right, whatever it is specifically, but it's like, at least I have a general idea, like, oh, it's a dinosaur. And there's an explorer person there or something, at least a human protagonist. And so I will start applying, you know, these, this language to these objects. And then the artist has put them in a space. So now I can, just like Kyle was talking about, we'll, you know, we go, we go back and forth, and then we start to construct some sort of story out of it. Um, so it's interesting. It's like there, you know, the, the narrative emerges, but probably because we have some language to put with it. Um, but again, I think we we're, we're reading these words on the page and unless we have some image in our mind to sort of stick with each word, it's like a, it's like a foreign word. You don't, you know, it's just a sound. You don't have anything to sort of attach to it. There isn't, there isn't this combination. And so, uh, I, I, there's a there there's like a harmony which doesn't necessarily you know which also can be you know uh, a, a bit of conflict right there's like you know there could be a there's a bit of back and forth that's happening um but i just wanted to open it up and talk about this a little bit because it's so it is so interesting and we are composing things we're trying to be composers with our artworks what is it that we're doing um but i can certainly see in this in this you know, image, there's a lot of abstracted shapes, right? There's a lot of abstract stuff, but then there's something that's, you know, there's something about the, the pattern that's, that's come up with the, the dinosaur and the person that starts to lead me a little bit further to, into convincing me that there, that there are these objects. Anyway, um, spoke wheeling. <laughs> what the heck does that mean right so um i'll just read it and we can we can talk about it a bit see if you know this is this, maybe this is something that you all do or you've you know you sort of see it all the time but i think we see it all the time but i don't know if we i don't know if it registers as much but spoke wheeling mm -hmm. lines that converge to a single point of a picture are like the spokes around a hub of a wheel they pull the eye towards the center point because this compositional device needs a name, let's call it spoke wheeling. That's, I like that. Thank you, James. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. You know, mm -hmm. do that. I, you know, I think that's awesome. You really want to, you know, like, you just invent stuff, right? It's, it's creative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just invent it. It's like spokes of a wheel. That makes mm -hmm. total sense, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, for centuries, artists have used spoke wheeling to attract the attention to a face uh, or an eye. This picture shows the triceratops pulling a turnip cart. The lines point uh, to the eye of the dinosaur. The arrows on the detail show how uh, the two brow horns 
uh, the horizontal bar of the wagon and the top of the dinosaur's back all converge on the eye. So he's even, you know, gone so far as to draw these right for us. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, they are really, they're really pulling us right here. Mm -hmm. um, so again, there are this, there is this sort of strategy we're going to try to use to get some context before we go to the detail. That makes total sense. Sort of working from the general to the specific that we're just naturally inclined to do that. Um, but again, these, you know, all these lines sort of pulling our attention towards something specific, that does seem like that's happening. It really does seem that way. Mm -hmm. um, so spoke willing lines are two types of so two dimensional and three dimensional. Um, two dimensional lines are on a single plane, uh, like the hands uh, on a clock face, the spokes of a wheel. Three-dimensional converging lines are the lines leading back to a vanishing point in perspective. Our eyes instinctively follow the lines of train tracks, for example, to see whether a train is coming. And we've seen that before, right? It looks like, you know, we know that train tracks are parallel, right? But when we look at down a train track, it looks like the two parallel lines are going to converge, right, at our eye level. And that's you know, again, that's this, this spoke wheeling that James Kearney's talking about. It's really pointing, directing our eye to a to a single point. So, um, yeah, we can see that here in this example. Um, here's another example of this technique that he's used. Um, this is a character uh, named Goldsworthy Marlin Spike. Um, so there are a lot of lines converging to his left eye. The lines come from the top of the window the telescope, both arms, uh, both of his arms, the top of the map. Um, so you can see all those, right? The arrows pointing right here to the left eye. As viewers of, the, of a picture like this, we'd be drawn to the face anyway, but the spoke wheeling lines reinforce the point. All right, so you may not start there, right? But you're really, I think you really are sort of encouraged to start to look right there at his face. And typically at that eye. I believe that. I think that that's, I think that's fairly apparent. Um, again, there's all of these things are, there are things, you know, everything in this room is an object. But again, there's a lot of abstracted shapes that sort of go to form a sort of contrast to, you know, this, the, the figurative work that's starting to emerge out of it. And that I think is, um, uh, again, if, if you get down to it, right, it's all abstracted brush strokes, you know, for instance, but um, the way that everything, you know, points us to it and the way that it's, the way that it's constructed, uh, we are really able to start to, to get this sense of depth or right? start to get this sense of, um, you know, pattern that produces this image. Um, it's a really, it's a really fantastic drawing, painting, um, but just sort of seeing all these compositional devices revealed, um, it really, uh, I think it really can be useful uh, for you. So something else that he recommends as you're starting to get into this, right? Um, yeah, so it's helpful to think about spoke wheeling from the very first thumbnail sketches. You can begin a, carp, a charcoal comprehensive sketch 
with a set of light radiating lines, even if you don't know how they'll end up being used in the composition. Later, as you build the elements of the picture, you'll get ideas for other figure props or architectural elements to coincide with your lines, right? Does that make sense? Like, you know, yeah. imagine just sort of sketching this out and be like, all right, I want, I really want people to focus on this. So I'm gonna, you know, just kind of put some rays kind of directing eyes this way. Um, and then start being creative, right? You start plugging in things that will help you sort of uh, get away with with all these, you know, spoke wheeled lines, you know, that are directing people. Just fascinating though. Um, and this is, is so subliminal. You're just gonna, you know, you're just gonna look at this image and you're not gonna think about all these, all these sort of directional cues, um, but they're gonna be present. And I do think that uh, we can, sometimes we can distract from the, from the things that we think may be important if we're not sort of cognizant about that, that this is a thing, right? <laughs> this, is a, this is a part of it. All right, clustering. Clustering is the arrangement of a tight group of details in one area of a composition. In contrast with large empty areas, a basic goal of any design is to create a variety of an interest and a tight grouping of faces invites the viewers to look closer. So it uh, goes on to talk about old masters such as Velasquez practiced the principle of clustering, but it also became a favorite device of How Howard Pyle, he's an illustrator. Um, below is a discarded sketch that suffers from a lack of clustering. Uh, the figures are spaced out evenly, each silhouette is separate from the others and heads are well spaced apart. I believe he's talking about this one, uh, this little sketch down here. Um, and this looks like something from Dinotopia. That's James Gurney's books. Um, and yeah, it looks like all these heads are very evenly spaced. Uh, it's a little bit static, if you will. Um, when the heads are clustered together, as in the composition above, the eyes uh, see them as one shape first and then goes into and sorts them out. Um, what an interesting phenomenon. It's right here, it's sort of happening for you, right? As you look, it's like, it's almost like as I look away from this group on you know, the left, that might be where I'm starting, wherever you start, right? I see this group on the left and it's like, I can't help but to see the group. And then I go in and see each individual. And then I go over here, uh, I go over here to the, uh, to the right, like these three faces over here. And I, you know, again, one big mass and then I separate out each one. Um, so it's just, uh, it, it really is sort of corresponding to this description for me. Um, but I do think that there's also, you know, it's also true that if, if each one of these were spaced out like a perfect soldier, you know, it would be very, uh, it would not be so interesting. Not, not as interesting as this is. Um, it would be different. It would have a different sort of relationship, um, but there's something much more dynamic about like these placements of, of uh, you know, these clusters of heads. What was the name of that painting again? The one that we're, this one that we're looking at here? Yeah, the one with the women. Uh, so it's, it's titled Spotters and Liners. So it's published in, uh, in James Gurney's book, uh, Dinotopia. Um, Journey to Chan Chandara. Journey to I Chandara. love your painting. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty beautiful. But you know, it's I think the of a meeting of two covens. Hmm. They have different patterns, right? Hmm. They're all wearing pointy hats. Yes. But this figure mm. in the middle, sort of by by themselves, really seems Looks like she's meditating. Mm -hmm. And also, like emphasized, the clouds yes. seem to emphasize. Um, and then the I would almost like this person is looking. Right, this person is is gazing right at at them. So they're very. I would I would like group this cluster together and then this one over here on the left and then this one over here on the right hmm. them it also kind of the principles of it also kind of remind me of the last supper mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 100% I can see mm -hmm. you got like the dude pointing up that's exact same as like um, mm, the, the, the triangle shape of the clouds and then the triangle shape of her mm -hmm. and someone looking directly at them and mm -hmm. plus people looking on yes yeah all of these uh all their stripes you know what i mean they do they kind of point to her as well but one other mm -hmm. thing i would i would say is you can see the floor tiles we imagine these are probably like squares, so they're probably parallel to each other. Mm. Looks like if we were to follow it up, it's going to come pretty close to this. Oh yeah, head. Um, just just a just a guess. Let's see, maybe I can. Maybe I can do it. Nope. No, I want to annotate. That's what I want to do. Draw, draw like that. Well, anyways, I don't want to sign whatever. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> um, this one is this one is really interesting image, and I like that note that it could possibly be, uh, you know, some kind of. Um, some kind of like reference to Last Supper. That makes total sense in a way. It really does. Mm -hmm. I really do think that, um, you know, as artists, we really do need to, uh, we really do need to look at the work of the past um, and it helps us understand our, our present moment in a certain way. Doesn't mean mm -hmm. we always have to copy after, you know, <coughs> Exactly what happened before but it does mean you know it is good to it is good to look um i think it does help us uh it does help us in our you know in our quest as it were so um all right flagging the head he calls this one right it often helps to place a white shape behind the head of the most important character in a figural composition and these devices bring attention exactly where you want it especially when your subject is uh, set against a busy background and that makes you said sense. That with the dinosaur. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. There was an open space, you know, behind yeah. that dinosaur's head. So we can see in this painting here the oil sketch of the artist above. I arranged the angle view so that way the artist's head and hand appeared against simple white shapes. 
because our eyes are naturally attracted to areas of maximum contrast, we're drawn to those areas of the figure. Um, so you can see that here, just a little bit of, you know, the edge of this canvas or whatever. And it's, it's really uh, emphasizing the hand and the implement, whether it's a pencil or a paintbrush or whatever. And the same thing over here with the head, a lot of contrast, dark shape against the light, right? Dark against light. Um, and what's also interesting in this one for me is that like, we can't see what they're working on. Which <laughs> it's a painting. And so we know that there, you know, it's, we know that it's a painting, so there isn't anything there, but we wonder like, what is this person working on back there? Uh, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a, I think that's a fantastic, um, you know, puzzle. And it looks like he has a mirror next to him. It's probably a self-portrait. That's possible, but we'll never know. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, it is a, is a mystery, right? Forever. You'll, you'll never know exactly what he's, exactly what he's painting or drawing or writing right there. Um, and I think that's, uh, I always find that so it's such a clever device. Um, you see this in a, a lot throughout history. Rembrandt has did a painting or two like this. Uh, Velasquez did another, you know, a painting or two like this. Um, so again, you know, it's interesting if you can show a subject and it looks like they're really absorbed in their activity. They're just doing whatever. Um, but interesting, yeah. They're they're. They're, they're doing whatever it is that they're doing, but uh, <clears throat> we don't have access to what, you know, to what it is that they're, that they're doing. I think that's, uh, that really makes for a, you know, very, a very enigmatic sort of composition. Um, like, what is this guy looking at? You know, <laughs> what, <laughs> looking he thinking of? <laughs> what is a he lot doing? of times with a painting, you get a feeling of what's in the artist's mind. This, what's in the artist's mind, is hidden from you. So you don't get the normal satisfaction and conclusion from the painting. It remains a mystery. It doesn't give up its secrets so easily, which is nice. Right. Anyway, like a conundrum. Exactly. We can see that, uh, the example of the, this, this uh, flagging the head principle here. Um, I don't know what that surface is. It could be like a, you know, could be a drawing surface, right? It could be. Yeah, it kind of looks like a drafting table. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, that makes sense. So, uh, but it really sort of draws our, you know, it, it holds our attention, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there's some other compositional devices. This object is pointing up here. Um, there's a line here that kind of points us in. Um, but once we get into this space where we are sort of, we're almost, we're almost trapped, right? We have to sort of find our way about in the, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a composition within the composition, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. That makes sense. This I think thing. it's interesting that the nails on his left hand that are by his face are long and manicured and the other hand, which they're obviously purposely drawing your attention to, is very short. Nice. Mm. 
like he's been working very hard and he's right-handed. So the nails on his left hand have grown better. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I like that detail. Mm-hmm. I think this can be like... That happens to me. Highly, highly referenced to like, you know, those, those clients that want the tattoos with like 15 different things within a small area. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, this is a prime example of why we can't really do that like if we can find at least one focal point out of those 15 things and then just kind of bring some breathability to it and then add some other stuff um it makes it a lot more of a pleasing composition compared to just think 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 you know yeah um, so i definitely got yeah, that makes total sense i think that's that's a really great insight kyle uh, especially if you think about, you know, you're going to have that, especially as a, a person that designs tattoos, you're going to have somebody request a lot of stuff. Um, but if there, if there is a way that you can really bring a lot of focus, breathability, as you, as you're saying, like to a particular element, you might be able to get away with putting in all sorts of, you know, other elements that mm-hmm. aren't, right. They just, they start to become a mass of stuff. You know, like all this junk back here. You know what I mean? It's like, like I, you know, like, you know, I want a monitor and a, you know, and a keyboard and a writing pad. And a, you know, I don't want all that stuff back there. Okay, but let's let's make it about something still. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and then the elements are supporting cast rather than everybody having the same amount of emphasis. That's mm-hmm. when it starts to lose, you know, cohesiveness. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My first mentor used to call them five pound baggers. Sure. <laughs> Wait a minute. Can you help us out? What is that? What, five <laughs> pound? what does that mean? Because it's their first tattoo where they only have a couple tattoos and they want to try to fit 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice way of saying that. We want to help. We want to help them. Like... <laughs> It's the thing that they want, you know what I mean? Mm. You know, people don't people don't know. We we sit around, we talk about, we get together on Monday mornings and talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> we sit around all week, we think about it. We're mm-hmm. working all the time, and somebody just you know they don't know. Oftentimes, that's that seems to be the case. So the more that we can kind of guide them, be a guide for them, uh, it's going to be better for our own practice. It's going to be better for them on a personal level, I believe. So I, I, that is, you know, but that does happen. People do want to have a, you know, a bit more. When was that painting created? Uh, 86. Okay. That makes sense because the Ghostbusters came out in 85 or 83. The thing at the top in the middle absolutely looks like a Ghostbusters ghost trap. There's a, yeah, it that definitely does. It does look like a ghost trap. <laughs> Because I noticed all the technology is kind of outdated. You know, it's got a very retro feel to it, even though it's trying to look modern. So it would make perfect sense that he's got a secondhand ghost trap. Yes. (laughs) Secondhand ghost trap. Love that. Um, (laughs) There's all kinds of, yeah, retro future going on for sure. It doesn't take long, though. For that technology to look look old. outdated yeah <laughs> um yeah so um this one vignetting very 
interesting idea. Um, I think, you know, before I really read this one, I just sort of thought about vignette. It's just sort of dark in the corners. Maybe you've heard of it that way. And that is a way. Um, but when you can want to compose a picture on a white page, you can always place the whole scene um, inside a rectangular composition. But it's often more exciting to let the picture flow informally onto the white page, right? So just letting things sort of fade off. I think we would have this often in our, you know, in tattooing where you don't have a hard edge. Yeah, or you just have a highlight around it mm -hmm. to make it pop off the skin a little more. Yeah, the skin is your substrate that you're putting it on. And so, like, how do you fade things out? Mm -hmm. It's still going to be a shape, right? There's still a shape there. And so mm -hmm. that's a part of what, that's a part of what this, uh, you know, you can think about this vignetting in that way. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the most basic kind of vignette is the soft blur where the full subject appears against a background. You know, it, it gets lighter and lighter and melts into the white of the page um, or the dark, right? Uh, like, the, like the oval of a photograph, an old photograph. Um, so the torn paper vignette right on the right here, um, see this looks like this guy might have just thrown this diamond thing or this this ruby guy something like that um but uh let's see what he's what he says about that you can give the impression of a ripped uh fragment torn out from a larger composition painting at the right the vignetted edge could have followed the silhouette of the figure instead the figure is shown against a warm sky the vignette line cuts randomly through the sky isolating the object um, this man that's throwing this thing Right, so there is that an could totally be Neo. Totally, <laughs> totally. Sorry, I'm a nerd. Uh, I'm no. a total nerd. <laughs> well, uh, what is what is interesting? You know what I mean? I think it's probably that. Like, what what is what about this character makes you think about that? It's the whole you know, dark shadowy figure in dark clothing. You know, the anti-hero type type of thing. Nice. Yeah, you know, and that that specific svelte silhouette and dark longer hair, facial hair, that's a very specific type. Mm-hmm. He's got the long trench coat thing going on too. Which yeah. Is... Oh, there's like a tube thing. Yeah, that's uh um, like he's on a submarine. Maybe you're right about that. Um well anyway, um the what's interesting though too is this idea of like this abstracted shape that you know that sort of cuts out around and then you know what's nice is that and what maybe makes it a little bit more um highlighted or like apparent to us this it is you know it probably would be very sort of uh um obvious is this like you know this sort of gem like object here but look, it's outside of this vignetted border. Yeah, if it had been surrounded by that mauvey peach color, mm -hmm. even though it's kind of muted, it would, the ruby or whatever it is, wouldn't pop as much and you wouldn't be drawn to it. Mm -hmm. And again, it points us right back to this person's face also. Mm -hmm. His hand extended, it's still, because there's an edge that sort of points us back to it. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of, so we're seeing like all, of, you know, many of these compositional devices, you know, all working in 
you know, synchronously all working in harmony to sort of give us a lot of the, the things, you know, that we're, uh, that we're hoping. We are hoping that we can help to encourage the viewer's eye. But again, we can't control the viewer's eye, as we saw in the beginning with all of the, um, uh, with all of the, the vision mapping stuff, right? But but we can we can continue to sort of encourage people like, oh, look at this, pointing us directly back here. Then you start over again. Um, and then there's again, we're probably going to have a, a bit of that, you know, windmill sort of principle happening like this is kind of a medium on medium this this leg you know what i mean um or this leg over here is much darker so it's there's an interesting sort of push and pull of our vision um which i you know i think it's even his the inside line of his legs points to his face of course and that seems like uh you know you didn't even have to try for that it just sort of you know you know feels like it happens but again as you're composing a figure composing the scene um you would need to would want to consider it a little bit i, I suppose um so a few other a few other examples of the vignette here is um uh the this form line vignette um so this conquistador uh he's he has his props right and they all fit together again this sort of thing they kind of escape right, this, uh, the boundary. Um, if we move over, uh, <clears throat> the wraparound vignette, right, this opposite top, here's the, the wraparound vignette sets up a detail around the outside edge of the design, leaving the white paper edge open. Um, so yeah, so there's not all this background, this heavy background and stuff that's put here on this floor area, right? It's allowed. Mm -hmm. The, you know the maximum amount of contrast there's a bit of shadowing that's happening um but again it you know there's a, this is a, a you know a consideration to, to make um the breakaway vignette uh again i think what's i think what's what's happening in a lot of these is that there's a there's a boundary or an edge that's set up and then these these uh objects or these characters as it were are escaping that edge and uh, kind of leaving that space, maybe entering another space. And that can be very effective, I think, um, for, for compositions. A sketchy edge vignette, right? You see this sort of a, a weird sort of treatment to the edge. Um, paint strokes or drips. Uh, it's where you want to uh, draw people's attention to the artifice of picture painting. Give us a feeling of informal sketchbook page. Um, so yeah, you can just sort of see like, it's just a softness to it, right? It's not that, it's just not that hard, crisp edge. It gives it a little bit of informality. Um, but again, I think that's something that we're, you're going to see in your own work, likely, especially, you know, within tattooing and stuff, um, a little bit of edge, I think can be, you know, it could be a nice way to sort of end background. Um, the cutback vignette. This vignette strategy, uh, where the white is added to last, the design shapes uh, are painted first on a toned canvas, and then when you cut back with white paint, allowing the priming to show between strokes. This method was made famous by Leindecker. Um, uh, fade away vignette. The golden age of illustrator, uh, the golden age illustrator Cole Phillips invented the fadeaway girl who was often vignetted in such a way that the colors of her outfit match the background color. 
Phillips uh, left off the outline so that your eye has the fun of uh, filling in the missing boundary. Um, and I could see, you know, perhaps we're talking about that here, you know, where the, the arm starts to fade off. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's a, you know, thinking about like how your edge produces a frame, how you might sort of like disobey that a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you set it up, you can disobey it. Why not? Um, repose and action. Uh, a painting presents itself to the viewer in its entirety with everything visible at once without multiple panels or animation. You can show only a single moment. The viewer scans the composition for clues about what has just happened and what might come next. If you want to show an action, consider which part of the narrative has the uh, most suspense and Howard Pyle called this the supreme moment. Um, so uh, to the extent that a painting can avoid showing action and can downplay the passage of time, most Vermeer painting seem to exist in a kind of eternal present. Edward Hopper's paintings often depict people waiting in enigmatic suspense. In a painting or for a book jacket like the one on the left, I showed the main character standing ready for action, leaving a threat for the reader to imagine. The design is stable with all the figures fitting neatly into a triangle, the most stable shape possible. By upsetting the balance and turning the triangle onto its head, you can energize the pose. The figure above uh, striding forward while carrying a lion is now top heavy. See that there, this character here. Um, it's now uh, figure as carrying a lion is now top heavy. He can't hold the pose for very long and while he's dealing with the forces that won't, he won't normally encounter. The most dramatic sequences build suspense towards a climax. NCY mm -hmm. also chose the two. You know? uh, the, he also chose to portray the moment right before the dramatic apex, recalling Pyle's advice to put figures in violent action is theatrical and not dramatic. He advocated his students that in deep emotion, there's a certain dignity and restraint of action, which is more expressive. The terror before the murder or the remorse afterwards is more interesting than the act itself. But there are times when it is effective to show what animators call the keyframe pose, a telling moment of extreme action that conveys a continuous moment in the scene um, so for instance, here set at the top, uh, Will Dennison pursued by a T-Rex is leaping into the saddle of his uh, a torosaur. <laughs> he has just taken off and it would have been less interesting to show him about to jump on or to show him flying away safely in the saddle. Right, see him sort of flying in the air. He's about to get there, but this is, uh, this gives us like, you know, more dramatic sort of, uh, you know, interesting repose, right? Was it repose and action? So these figures are in repose, right? They're ready to start to, you know, to do some sort of adventure. Uh, this character is flying through the air um, in the middle of the action. Um, so often the supreme moment happens during a fateful encounter. It could be the meeting of our hero and a villain, prisoner and captor or lover and betrothed. The meeting need not be a violent one, but ideally the characters could be contrasting even matched in uh, the book cover painting to the right. The poet Shelley is going down with his schooner in Lake Geneva. 
hunted by a vampire. Um, I painted the wraith in a pale, bright colors and Shelley in black and white. I used diagonals throughout the picture to suggest instability and help draw attention to his face. And yes, we can, we can really see that. Um, all these devices that we've been talking about, this like or thing or whatever pointing, maybe it's a rudder pointing right to his face. Um, again, all the C is in a diagonal, the, the sails and stuff are in diagonal, the ropes, mm -hmm. lots of different diagonals. And then of course this contrast here in terms of the colors um pale but uh but more intense sorts of colors here on this this spirit versus the um versus the translucency of that is awesome mm -hmm. what is this one uh shipwreck that's you know again these are all james gurney's paintings and stuff but uh yeah but very very beautiful um, repasseur, the French word repasseur refers to an object placed in the foreground of a composition that enhances the illusion of distance, right? So we can see that here, much more detailed um, and also, you know, just allows this stuff in the background to really get atmospheric, falling back, doesn't have nearly the same amount of detail um, or say crispness, if you like. Um, but yeah, but all objects in the, you know, in the foreground, they are very, you know, they have a much higher contrast compared to the background. Um, so yeah, even though it seems like it's, it's very, could be, you know, you want to tape, you'd want to paint this really tight and detailed. There's a lot of looseness back here, right? But it sets the scene. It helps us to really sort of understand the context and then so we understand this context maybe first, right? This there's an outdoor scene, mountainous and stuff. When we get into tight here for the details, um, again, our eye wants to linger and sort of go over this figure, go over the you know the face of the dinosaur. Again, all these compositional devices that are sort of holding our our gaze. Um, cutaway view. A cutaway view is the rendering that removes the outer layer of a vehicle or building to reveal its internal structure. It gives the viewer a chance to see how something is constructed or how it works. Um, this is, is an interesting illustrative idea. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't like sort of seem like you would maybe tattoo this very much, but um, but I just started like this Castlevania tattoo. <laughs> and so there's some cutaway parts. Hey. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's, I, it's, uh, it's, it's really fun to, you know, to sort of work with and, and I think, um, there's going to be some, you know, I, I was thinking about this exact thing, you know. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, like, you know, this cutaway, like here's another windmill, right? Yeah. Away, you can see inside of it and you can see all these different scenes sort of going on all at once. Um, how, how cool is that, dude? Very cool. That's such a great idea. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of yeah. different things that you can start to, you know, sort of take some of these compositional devices and start to to put them into your own art making. Yeah. I, I don't remember the name of the book, but when I was young, yeah, we had no TV. We lived in the sticks. So my entertainment was my parents' book collection. My mom had this book that was all illustrations of fantasy cutaways. Like fantasy buildings and like there was a rendering of somebody that did the, um, you know, 
the old woman in the shoe with all the kids and what the shoe would look like and hotels and all kinds of stuff like that. And I loved that. Heck yeah. I love it too. Um, and I think that's like, you know, that's like a part of this visual library that you build up, you know what I mean? This, part mm -hmm. of this visual sort of uh, language that you develop. It's in there, you know what I mean? And um, and so it can, it can be a way that you can communicate to others, but it can also be this, it can be this new thing for people who have never seen that. Um, and, and those are all, uh, that's all part of the stuff that you bring to the table, right? All of those, yeah. all those experiences and things that you've, um, you know, that have like, made you who you are as an artist um so aerial maps just sort of talking about you know like like getting the lay of the land as it were right very um very interesting way to compose and then he finishes it off talking about maps right um and so uh just a great chapter um yeah. i do want to wrap do want to wrap it up but i would say you know um Imaginative Realism by James Gurney. It's a fantastic book. We covered one chapter. It took a couple of weeks, <laughs> but there was just so much to talk about, so much to, to show. And no, so, I definitely need this book. Yeah, yeah there's so much you can refer back to. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Like um, the, the vignetting, like that's like perfect for like tattoo compositions and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Never knew what it was called, but you know, I knew of it. And then the, uh, the spoke wheeling. You know, I use that stuff all the dang time in a lot of my drawings and designs. And I just like, I knew of the technique. I just never knew what it's called, you know, but like, it's so cool to, I don't know, just to, I don't want that to revisit and relearn, you know, yeah. stuff that you're already doing and learning, you know? Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah. Composition is just, it's so much fun, you know, telling your story, um, trying to, get the viewer's eye to kind of go to where you want it to go type of thing and just to try to tell your story um, somehow or the story it's just cool it's really cool absolutely um well i uh had so much fun getting a chance to share that with you all um next week i would I really, I'm, I'm going to share an article uh, in the chat, and I, I'm going to, I'd like to try to talk about it. Uh, okay. It's, it's about, it's about tattoos uh, as a form of therapy. But um, see, that subject interests me very much. I, I, I knew that it, I knew that it did, Amber. <laughs> so um, anyway, so. I, I just dropped it into the chat. Um, and I think, you know, it would be interesting as if, you know, if we all ended up, if you got a chance to read it, maybe we could, you know, bring it up for a few minutes next week, talk about it just a little bit. Yeah. Um, Can you do me a favor and send that to my Instagram email? Yes. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Send it to you, to you all. So that way you had a chance to, you know, to check it out. Um, so not to be cryptic, but just, you know, that's, that's a part of the theme. Hopefully we can talk about it. This is something that I resisted for a long time. Um, but I, but the more that I, the more that I think about it and, you know, the more that I talk to people, it does seem, it does seem to have its place. Um, 
is something that's, you know, it's important. And uh, there, there may be some element of it that has a bit of a therapeutic value. So anyway, um, I'll send that article, check it out. If you get a chance, you might really find it interesting. But of course, if you have something that you would want to share or you'd want to talk about, you know, by all means, um, you know, that'll be something I'd like to, to cover next week. Um, but I think that's, uh, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. This was so much fun getting a chance to, to, to talk about this with you all. Um, why don't we, uh, yes. Why don't we actually uh, just do some quick sign-offs and then we'll, uh, we'll get on with it today. So um, Amber, so great to see you again. Give us your, give you us too. your. Okay. It's great to be back. I really appreciate you guys so much. And I really enjoyed today. This was a great conversation and I learned a lot. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, uh, thank you for saying that. And again, really glad that you had a chance to, um, you know, to come back on today. Um, it's great to I'm see you. Go take a nap. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I think that's, that makes total sense. Um, but again, I hope you can make it next week. It'll be really great to get your, to get your perspective. Um, oh, I will. Yeah. I'm back in the saddle. Cool. Oh. Well, tell us where we can find you. And My name is Amber Morgan, and you can find me on all social media sites under Amber Morgan. Right down here. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amber. It's great to see you again, and uh, look forward you to seeing you next week. Both of you. Kyle, you're up, buddy. Why don't you give us, uh, give us your sign-off? All right. Well, uh, my name is Kyle Olson, O-L-S-O-N. Um, if you want to get a, reach out and get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me via Instagram at Olson underscore tattoos. Um, you can also reach out at trinityartcollective.com. Um, and I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about anything, really. Um, and, and, and thanks for the episode, James. Like, this, this, I love composition. It's so much fun. And to try to implement all the little things into tattooing, it just it makes it that much more exciting. Um, I want to study a lot more on vignetting and see how mm -hmm. I can implement that into my day-to-day. -day. So that's exciting. I'm super excited for that. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, no, thank you, Kyle, really. It's, um, again, it's great to see you. And uh, I really liked your insights today. So um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, again, I'm grateful for everybody that, you know, that, that comes on the show. It's, it really does mean a lot. And then also to you out there, if you are still watching us, make sure that you like it, subscribe it, leave your uh, constructive feedback um, and join us next week for another episode of Drawing for Tattooers. Uh, I'm James Wisdom. I'm a member of the Alliance of Professional Tattooists. And uh, if you do tattoos, you should consider joining too. Um, this has been Drawing for Tattooers. And I uh, want to thank Guy Etchison one more time. Uh, so thanks, Guy. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Happy drawing, everybody. Have yeah. a great week. All right. Bye. Thank you.